It's Depression Mode. I'm John Moe. I'm glad you're here. Common mental health problems can mess with not just your mood, but your entire sense of who you are and what's going on. Depression, for instance, will tell you that you are worthless, a burden to all around you, not deserving of kindness, respect, or love. And that's not true. And hear me now, it's important, simply by being a human in the world, you deserve love and respect and kindness and friendship and healthcare and a lot of things. Those are rights. And then there's anxiety. Anxiety will tell you that you are a person in tremendous danger even when you're not. So then you're tensed up, your mind is racing, and it doesn't need to be. Logic would tell you that it doesn't need to be if logic could be heard above the terrible clatter that anxiety is making. The world seems different in that state. You feel different than what reality tells you because you're being lied to. You're being fooled. Janet Varney is an actor, comedy writer, host of the JV Club podcast. Janet had the depression and the anxiety, but the distortion went further. When she was young, Janet was diagnosed with depersonalization derealization disorder, or DPDR. It's a disorder that made Janet feel like she was outside her own body, and that what she was feeling was not, in fact, real. DPDR is a type of dissociative disorder, and it's rare. The usual treatment is psychotherapy. Janet has her DPDR well-managed now, but I wanted to learn more about her experiences with it. And I also just wanted to talk to Janet because I find her to be very nice and talented and fun. In this interview, I sometimes get the name of her podcast wrong. It's the JV Club Podcast. And I get the name of her great TV show wrong. The name of the show is Stan Against Evil. Janet never corrects me. Well, Janet Varney, actor in, in so many things and host of the JV podcast here on Maximum Fun, welcome to Depression Mode. Thank you so much, John Moe. You definitely win the prize for best name, best, oh, best punny name. There's a lot of competition in our network. It's but, very uh, strong. And yes, I know. I know what I'm saying when I say that, John, and I still stand by it. Yeah. That, well, that's, I mean, people talk about that at the water cooler, at the at the Maximum Fund headquarters where we all work in adjacent offices That's to right. each other. In our adorable cuticles. Cuticles? We, we live in cuticles. <laughs> we live in cuticles. It's amazing yeah. how they could put a desk in there. I am very manicure focused right now. I'm not sure what that's about. <laughs> well, in the JV podcast, a lot of it is about uh, one's earlier life, one's high school experience, correct? Yeah, yeah. That's definitely a, a point that I like to center on as much as possible. There are definitely conversations where, you know, perhaps something is happening in the world or there's some sort of, as Kurt Vonnegut would say, wampet or a grand falloon that ends up taking <laughs> you on a tangent that makes you realize that 45 minutes have gone by and no high school has been discussed. But yes. for the most part, I think I can say with... Uh, a fair amount of confidence that that is something that that we do dig into and I've never gotten tired of it I just love adolescence is evergreen it really is well uh just like the JV club podcast I depression mode often starts with the the junior high or high school experience because it's obviously a fertile breeding ground for uh 
for mental anomalies, mental obstacles yes. and challenges. Let's go. Let's uh, let's turn the tables on you. And oh, so boy. where did you grow up? And uh, and when did when did your mind start becoming uh, interesting in uh, in an <laughs> obstacle related kind of way? I grew up in uh, in Tucson, Arizona. I graduated from high school when I was 17 and went as far away from heat while still staying in the state of Arizona because I had a scholarship to a an Arizona school. So I went up to Flagstaff. Yeah, but born and raised in, in Tucson. And I mean, I think like if we're really going to try to parse it out, but also not be here all day. I mean, I think I had issues even as a kid. I mean, I was a highly emotional kid. My parents split up when I was very young. I had a lot of kind of anger and rage and hurt that I didn't know what to do with. And How so, old were you, know, you when was, they split up? I mean, I guess I was like four. Okay, wow. Uh, enough to know something was terribly wrong and why was I being taken to live in kind of a grubby apartment with my mom and no longer, you know, and just kind of visiting my old house where my cat still was until she got hit by a car. <laughs> okay. A well, this takes care of Janet's punch. trauma. We kind of So that's it. Everything's been great since then, but I've just been trying great to work through that. Great having you on. Janet Varney, everybody. <laughs> Ah, uh, yes, indeed. Uh, yeah. Um. So yeah. So I, you know, I, I, there was definitely a period in my in my life in grade school where like I had to go to counseling on my grade school campus while other kids were having like lunchtime and stuff. Um, and uh, so and then you know and then I and then I found I found goth and punk uh music and lifestyles when I was thirteen as a freshman in high school and kind of tipped pretty far into that for a while and then I started having the depersonalization thing in my freshman year of college and so I've been I've mostly been a fairly boring adult since my (laughs) mid-20s because once you sort of get your shit together you find that it's more appealing to keep your shit together than to risk at any time like crumbling whatever you know foundation you've managed to to eke out speaking of Wikipedia and the research I've I've done about you. Uh, you are mentioned on the internet. You made the internet, Janet. It's been, <gasps> yeah, I know. I what know. am I doing talking to you? I gotta go <laughs> and turn this into cash, cash, cash. Yeah, you gotta go meme. Um, <laughs> am I right that that uh, you grew up Mormon? Yeah, that's a hard. That's a that's kind of a hard one. Um, because yes, I certainly was baptized and did have to go to church regularly on Sundays with my mom, but I did not, I never identified as a Mormon in any kind of real way. On the outside, mostly I did not identify as that. And then certainly on the inside, it was never something that I took seriously, but it was very important to my mom. So I was, I was very much kind of connected to that community of that particular ward of that particular church that I went to with my mom. And then when I graduated, uh, I had, you know, I sort of had to tell her, like, please, please, actually, please don't give my forwarding information to the church because I'm not planning on going yeah. Know, yeah. ever again. <laughs> yeah, I was looking for the connection when you when you talked about the uh, the angry goth punk phase. If yeah. that was a reaction against the Mormons or if that was a, a manifestation of some depression that you were feeling or if you just liked the cure and the Smiths or something. I, I mean, I think it was, I, I wouldn't say that there was nothing so pressureful that is absolutely not a word but there was nothing that was so 
heavy in my life that was nothing so heavily Mormon that I that I was rebelling against it, I don't think. Um, But it definitely was harder to like pick what to wear when I was wearing black lipstick and like pointed boots and stuff like there was there was definitely more navigating of, okay, what do I do to go to church? Like, what does that look like? How do I put that outfit together? But yeah, and 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 yeah, I mean, I think I it I was one of those kids who felt like it I connected with something. And also, you know what? I think it was it was a way of separating from my dad because I have was very close with my father. He had primary custody of me after the thing with my mom having primary custody did not go well when I was younger. And so we were a bit two peas in the pod, but he was also very authoritative. Like, it wasn't like, we were more friends than father and daughter. It was like, no, I had to make my bed every morning. You know, he's a high school teacher. So there's a, he's very aware of his adultness and very much makes a separation distinction between young people and adults. But we were, I really looked up to him and he had great taste in music. And so, and we went on a lot of road trips together because he was writing books about ghost towns and mining camps in the Western United States. So we were just together a lot. And so I think there probably was a part of that transition for me that was that kind of individuation or whatever, when you find something that is that feels more yours or feels more peer connected than you know, so it was like I was I listened to, talk, you know, Talking Heads and the Police and Peter Gabriel and a ton of bands with my dad. But, you know, he had no interest in listening to Depeche Mode. And that so when I discovered Depeche Mode, that was really exciting. Yet my dad listened to Erasure. So there's, you know, there, there's there's still <laughs> some like, some between. crossing over. Yeah. <laughs> the fine line, by the way, the name of the all ages club that I went to almost every weekend. Oh, see, there you go. When there I was you a go. freshman. Yeah. I have a variety of questions here. Uh, and one of them is wearing lots of black Arizona comfort yes not (laughs) really yeah Yeah, not super comfortable yeah I mean the summers are just so depressed that's I I feel like I have the whatever seasonal affective disorder we usually associate being with rain and fog and I I 100% have it with hot weather really with, with cloudless skies just sort of unforgiving, blazing sun, that is very depressing for me. I have to fight actively not to become super bummed out in like a despair kind of way when really? it's really hot. So luckily, the earth is headed in a way that's good for me. <laughs> yeah, and all, all of us. And all of us. And all of of animal kind. Flora, fauna, we're all celebrating global warming. I- I understand that if we recycle more, everything will be okay. Listen, it's not up to the corporations. It's up to each of us as individuals to reuse. It's up to us to control. It's we caused it. It's our carbon footprint. That's not just a thing that BP invented so that it could put the onus on the individual (laughs) and distract everyone while it continued ruining the earth. Right, right. It's a it's a calculated form of enforced depression coming down from above. A hundred percent. Yeah, now now you need to feel terrible about yourself. Here's here's my other question. Ghost towns, did you go along? Did you see any ghosts? I didn't see, I mean, nary a ghost, John. Nary a ghost to be. I, I love the idea of, like, hauntings and also wanting to be psychic. I mean, all of that kind of stuff. And I can't say that any of it manifested internally, externally. I, I, I wish. I wish I had one of those stories. And I have zero. Yeah. Well, I imagine, too, in, in Arizona, that'd be hot for a ghost. I associate ghosts with like clammy, drafty yeah, situations. You're right. Although Arizona gets pretty cool in the winter. I mean, 
there's a, you know, we're talking, we get down into like the 30s at night and, you know, sometimes like a day won't reach above 50. Maybe that's not true anymore. Again, I have, you know, because I haven't lived in Arizona for most of my life now. But, um, but it was, it would get, it would get pretty chilly. So maybe there's a seasonal ghost situation. Yeah. Yeah, Maybe there's still some. Like pumpkin spice lattes. (laughs) Right. Right. Pumpkin spice ghosts who come out in the fall. Um, I've never really got a taste for those ghosts. I just don't care for those ghosts. Um, Too trendy. Too trendy. Well, let's, you talked about it briefly and and we talked about it before we started rolling. Uh, A disorder that uh, I had not heard the name of until until I read up on you and found it on your Wikipedia. <laughs> DPDR, also known as DPD, depersonalization derealization disorder. Yeah. Educate me. What is it? When did it show up for you and and how did it present? Sure. Um well I was I did a lot of acid when I was uh, uh 13 and 14 and 15. Not like daily but I, I certainly did my fair share from, you know, I mean, I would say I did it at least once a month and I smoked a lot of pot and I drank a lot, but by the time I got to, but that, that sort of, that was a phase that ended. Like by the time I was, I think a junior in high school, I had zero interest in ever dropping acid ever again. That felt very much over. And I, I bring that up only because a lot of people assume that that would be the thing that like if something was going to break your brain that perhaps it would be that but um when i was in college i got i guess i mean for anybody who feels like they've been too stoned uh it, it's not dissimilar to that it's just it sort of happens compl- without any you know, without inhaling anything, without taking anything, like you don't do anything to alter your reality, but your reality just decides to alter on its own was sort of the experience that I had. And so there was a real feeling of feeling like, honestly, one of the best ways I've been able to describe it was the gift that was given to me through being John Malkovich, because that is actually, it was chilling for me when People, when when Catherine Keener and and John Cusack are crawling through a tunnel and looking out through Malkovich's eyes, that is sort of what it feels like. It feels like you're in someone else's body. There's sort of a a, a much longer process. Um, it feels like you're having to tell your arms and fingers and hands and mouth to do things in this hyper self aware way. Like all of the stuff that's supposed to be innate and and it's supposed to be unconsciously happening suddenly is moved to the forefront so you feel like you're kind of puppeteering a bag of meat I guess Mm -hmm. um and and so everything you're doing you're sort of having to cut through and seem normal in air quotes uh while you are having this existential crisis um, so like I couldn't look in the mirror, uh, it, because there was a, a, that, like I was having, there was a sort of break of what does it mean to look like me? Why do I like what I like? Why do I, who, how did I get here? Why am I doing this? Why do I dislike this type of food or whatever? So, I mean, it's very, uh, solipsistic and, uh, not a place I would ever want anyone I care about to live ever. Yeah. I would love to say I wouldn't wish it on and the the worst person in the world, but I might wish it on the worst person in the world. I mean, they're the as worst a, person as a in touch the world. Of torture, yeah, yeah. 
I mean, but but yeah, it's it's a it's very distracting and and kind of consuming. And so some people would say, you know, you hear about people who go through trauma who say, oh, I felt like I was above my body watching myself. And I I'm quick to say that is not the experience I had. I never felt like I was floating above myself looking down at the top of my head. Or the other example that came out more recently was Get Out was when you're sort of you've fallen in and which I think some people feel depression is like that where there's this sense of wanting to get closer to reality and feeling like something is stopping you from that sensory experience. In just a moment, college can be an overwhelming experience, classes, friends, a whole new life. It's a lot, especially when you add DPDR to the mix. Back with Janet Varney, we've been talking about her experience with depersonalization, derealization disorder, or DPDR. It's a mental disorder where you feel outside your body and like the world is not real. When did it first happen? What was the first time? Uh, I was, it was towards the end of my freshman year. I was in my dorm room and I had had a couple of experiences of smoking too much pot (laughs) off a bong a couple of weeks before. And then I was just lying in my bed. I had a lot of finals. I had committed to a lot of stuff. So I did have that sort of freshman anxiety thing. And all of a sudden I just felt super, super, super high. Uh, but I was stone cold sober, just completely sober. And it was terrifying. And that experience sort of lasted like 48 hours. Like I sort of eventually fell asleep and then woke up and still felt that way. And so that into my into the summer between my freshman and sophomore year, I had to like get a part time job back in Tucson, you know, back at home for the summer and had to like figure out how to have a panic attack and still which that was what it was then I was then told like I went to a shrink who said oh you're having panic you're describing panic attacks and I was like am I though I mean it did feel like an attack but it didn't feel like a panic attack and then it wasn't until my sophomore year that I found a therapist in Flagstaff when I was up at my sophomore year of school who um I started kind of describing it and she actually stopped me and went over and got the big book and opened it and started reading my symptoms to me. And I was just, you know, like many people, the scariest can be not knowing. And so hearing something just outlined for me that I that that I knew meant that it was a thing. It wasn't just me going crazy. I mean, or if it was me going crazy, at least other people were going crazy in the same way. And the only reason that my therapist understood it is that I happened to find someone who had gone through that at my age. Wow. Um, So it really felt, you know, it was very nice serendipity. And um, and she she had her she was you know, her business was a partnership with a, a psychiatrist and they put me on Prozac. And that was a very good, if temporary fix. But it also made me not care about anything, and I totally dropped out of school. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that. <laughs> I yeah. mean, I looked it up. It said triggers can include significant stress, panic yeah. attacks. For sure. Uh, and drug use, which you said you know you weren't doing, but, but it was back there somewhere. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I read up on, on this DPDR, depersonalization, derealization, and 
really a light bulb went off for me and I, I haven't talked about this in on the show or any kind of public forum, but when yeah. I was very young, when I was like eight years old, I had an experience that this describes perfectly. <gasps> wow. And it would happen it happened several times over the course oh of a summer. God, John. And I it was always um like when I was what we had this neighborhood pool that I would go to every day and walking home from that I remember just like what is this that I'm inside of this there's a person walking I don't know who it is I know I'm not that person yeah and oh my god I wonder why do you have any theories I mean they say it is related to to trauma um Mm -hmm. And childhood experiences, emotional abuse and neglect. And it was so terrifying that um, I, I tried to describe it to like my siblings and my mom. And yeah. it was so impossible. Oh, I mean, it's as I old John Moe, that breaks know, my right? heart. Like having gone through that, the idea of a tiny child, like an eight year old kid. Yeah. I just want to protect that child. <laughs> I, it's, it hurts my feelings that, that you went through that. But like even even now, like a skilled professional communicator, I'm sure you still have a hard time really describing what this thing is. Yeah. And, you know, as an eight year old, I didn't have a chance. And so I got a lot of these confused looks and I'm like, yeah. OK, I'm taking this note. The note is never talk about this again. Of course you would. Of course. <laughs> until you would today. Take that. Until today with Janet. Farney. <laughs> this is what communication is all about. Hey, podcasting. Oh, yay, <laughs> podcasting. Oh, God. Yeah, for sure. That would be hard to describe. I mean, I had again, like I've given two examples of things that happened that came much later after the experience I had. Mm-hmm. I th- I would try to describe it as a, of course, being too high, which a lot of people can relate to, or um, having a fever. You know, sometimes mm. like if you have a fever, there's a sense of you just have a sense. Distortion. Yeah. Yeah. It's a just, yeah, it's exactly. It feels like it's a reality distortion and you can't, you want to get back to the thing that feels like is just sitting rubbing up against your reality it's just right over there yep but you can't necessarily pop over into it yeah yeah um so so then coming out of uh coming out of childhood coming out of this experience i'm 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 trying to find the link between the person dealing with uh, this disorder and having a, a very strong reaction to prozac and <laughs> dropping out of college in arizona uh-huh. to like you know I know we have to get to founder of SF Sketchfest <laughs> and TV star. These uh, these yeah, seem yeah, very yeah. far away at the moment. <laughs> were were the issues that you know, which sounds like some some depression, some anxiety, and then this this DPDR uh, that you're dealing with. Were these like everyday obstacles, everyday issues that you had to grapple with, or did you get some therapy and start moving forward, or what? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. I mean, I think I I. I I definitely, when I ended up finding the right therapist, she definitely said, you know, this is a symptom. This tends to be a symptom of anxiety or depression or both. So if we can treat the the, the thing that is simpler, at least in terms of what we clinically understand things to be, if we can treat something like that, there is a, a fair chance that those will go away. And the reason that I had kind of reached out and tried to find a therapist was that I had kind of come into a place of semi-comfort with that feeling, which is just a testament to what people can get used to. Chronic emotional pain, chronic physical pain, all that kind of stuff, you know, that I could sort of 
like settle into waking up in the middle of the night and sort of jumping out of my bed, trying to like get back in my body and putting on, you know, music and waiting for myself to get and drinking, you know, celestial seasonings like tension tamer tea or chamomile tea or whatever, finding those rituals that kind of felt like you're still in control, even if what you're in control of is just trying to manage this anxiety or this panic or this right. But you have feeling. some agency. You have some you're power. You have some agency, yeah. And uh, But but I got cast as the lead in because I was a theater major. Um, I, dec- I didn't have a major declared in, in freshman year, but I was kept waiting to be inspired to find out what other thing I would want to do, and nothing was happening. So I sort of begrudgingly was like, well, I guess everyone expects me to be a theater major anyway. So, but, and so then I had auditioned for for this show called The Heidi Chronicles, which is a great play. and Wendy Wasserstein. Wendy Wasserstein. But there, that is a show, you know, Heidi is, is at the center of that show pretty much the entire time. And in fact has like, you know, a, like there's a scene where it's just her speaking to a group. So it's just pages and pages of monologue. And I was so terrified that I would have this out-of-body experience while I was on stage. Um that I, you know, I, I saw, I sought out more help mm. and they, and, and yeah, they put me on Prozac and I did the play and that was all great. I mean, it, at first it was great because I really did feel, I just, that just, that stuff went away. It just really went away. And I fell in love with someone and I did this play that I loved and that all felt great. I think just and I was very active. It wasn't like a, you know, I, I take Prozac. That's not really the effect Prozac has. It's not that you suddenly become, you know, a lo- like a loafing around. It was more that, you know, I had two part-time jobs and I was going to school. And there was just a point when, and I'd moved in with my boyfriend at the time. And I had this moment where I was lying awake one night thinking, oh God, how am I going to get this thing and that thing done? And I have to write that paper. And then I had this rush of pure excitement and this very clear thought like I'm I'm choosing all of this I don't have to do Mm. any of this what if I just dropped out of like what if I didn't what if I dropped out of this semester Uh, what if I just took that stressor away and it was so liberating and nothing I had ever considered before and it just was so exciting Except that I forgot to drop one of the classes, so I got an F because I just stopped going to school. I'm not sure how that happened. It was like a different, it was like an elective. So there was some different process by which I was supposed to do it. And then I didn't. And I otherwise had like a 4.0 GPA. So that was like like an awkward thing to have to (laughs) drag in with you when you move schools. But yeah, I, I, I dropped out, but I was still working. That just meant I could work full time and sort of be domestic and be in this relationship and love Flagstaff, which I loved very much. And also kind of like, I think part of that was like, I want to, I want more time to celebrate feeling mentally well, which, so I don't regret it. And I don't, I mean, I, it's fun to kind of throw it out there as a like hardy har har guess what i dropped out of school because of prozac but i don't lo- i don't think that you know i think absolutely it caused me to have this sense of like oh my god like a hi- like a kind of a high of what if i just didn't go to school in a in this sort of oh i'm a grown up now i can choose that kind of way that might have happened for me anyway do you know what i mean that yeah, might have just yeah. happened for me because it happens for a lot of young people where all of a sudden they're in the middle of the grind of college and they just suddenly realize that they have autonomy 
and it's very exciting and very scary and I was a good student and a, and a, and a pretty good kid even if it was like manipulating like still wanting to ditch class and go smoke cigarettes but mm-hmm. somehow wanting to like charm my way into still like not being in trouble um but so I, just the the freedom to go well what if I just stop this was very intoxicating so but I don't know I mean I you know I, it's fun to kind of poke fun at Prozac and say that's what did it but I don't really know that you know no there's there's too many other factors you can't really isolate one of yeah. them yeah I'm thinking about this idea of of having your own personal freedom because if you have a history of depression and anxiety, people in that situation, especially like coming in, just coming into adulthood, will often have that sense of these are things I just have to do uh, because yeah. that's what I've been told to do because they don't have the a strong enough self core to to step up and say no I'm in I'm in charge of this. Right. Have you been using that ever since? I think there is a level of that. I mean, that certainly extended to um you know, I left school and and the next step was was moving to San Francisco. My boyfriend graduated during the winter semester and I was like he was prepared to sort of stick around while I finished school, but I was like, let's, why don't we move to California? How, why, you know, and I had always wanted to move to San Francisco, or at least I had wanted to move there since the first time I went there at age 13 mm-hmm. and wandered Haight Ashbury with a, and I'm, I have certainly owned this on other podcasts, including my own, but I did have a um, Clockwork Orange uh, Alex eyelash, like, okay, top and bottom walking wow. around the Haight. What was I doing? S- you're safe here. You could talk oh, about God. it. Yeah. I mean, that I will never judge anyone. I'm one of those people who will never <laughs> judge someone for loving punk, like b- serial killers, going through that phase where you're yeah. sort of idolizing uh, that kind of stuff. I w- I'm just I'm not I was I was never going to turn out to be a, a killer. I was never going to turn out to be an abuser. I was, But when I think about how much I wanted to have sex with rapist Malcolm McDowell's character, you know what I mean? Like, that's so crazy. I would never that it was still fiction. Like there was no part of me that was interested in, you know, having a crush on Ted Bundy. Like I had I 100 percent could separate fact from fiction, but it's still close enough and embarrassing enough to me now that I cannot I have no right to judge somebody who does have a crush on Ted Bundy. I don't care for it. And I wish they didn't. But <laughs> something's going on in your brain's chemistry and you somehow need that. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't want to be too judgmental about that because I, I, I absolutely did some things that people now are like, you what? Yeah. Cla- well, but- a clockwork orange? Come on. The more interesting question to examine is not what the hell, but it's, okay, what led to that? What was the sequence of, of decisions and events that led up? And we're not going to spend too much time on that eye makeup uh, or, or Malcolm <laughs> McDowell's filmography in that, in that particular sense. But uh, what happened with, uh, with kind of your, your worldview and your mental health uh, when you got to San Francisco? Uh, I was still in this space of being really excited and was carrying through that idea of just being able to make grown-up choices, whatever that meant. And so we moved to San Francisco. That was something I really wanted to do. I think he wanted to be in L.A. for sure, uh, having been a theater major and wanting to go work in film and television. And I and I think I I 
I feel bad because I, I was really like, you can do that in San Francisco. And he learned fairly quickly that you kind of can't do that in San Francisco, especially when you're young and you just need experience. You know, that's what those of us in Seattle always told ourselves. And it didn't work. There exactly. <laughs> I always wanted to live. I wanted to live anywhere from San Francisco northward. Uh huh. As soon as possible. I those were all that I only looked at colleges in the Pacific Northwest and then when I got into them and then they offered me financial aid and I was like, Oh, this needs to be paid back? No, thank you. Oh yeah, no, can't do that. No, thank you. Can I can't I will never I will never make enough money to pay this back ever. So no. Uh but yeah, I I, I think that it was very liberating and I, I worked for a year to establish residency in San Francisco and then faithfully enrolled at SF State when I could, um, when a year was up. And I went back to school and sort of took the long journey of being a, a person, you know, in their early 20s who was working full time and also going to school or sometimes going to school full time and working part time. And I just sort of traded back and forth, giving more to one than the other. And that that's all where I met, you know, um, my sketch fest partners who were also my sketch comedy partners and um, and started kind of performing and doing comedy at all, which I had not really done uh, before that. Something that I've heard from a lot of people who who kind of find find their lane creatively, especially because I talk to a lot of comedy people, a lot of a lot of writers, a lot of performers is, you know, once they found a version of themselves that felt really truthful, the the chronic illnesses might not have gone away, but they became more manageable. They became sure. more understood and like, oh, okay, that's a distortion. That's what my my brain's trying to trick me there. I know that yes. I know the counter move for that. Did that yes. happen to you? Absolutely, uh, that absolutely happened. And there are still things that trigger. You know, I I went through a little pocket where it was happening again um, for the first time in you know a decade or something. The Malkoviching. The Malkoviching came back when I was working. Uh, at I helped launch the Huffington Post's like network, which was called HuffPost Live. Coming up, Janet Varney goes live and almost goes dead. Well, hello, I'm Renee Colvert. Hi, I'm Alexis Preston, and we are the hosts of Can I Pet Your Dog? And we got breaking news, we got an expose, and all the beans have been spilled via an Apple podcast review that said, this show isn't well-researched. <gasps> well, yeah, no duh. Of course it's not. Not since the day we started has it been well-researched. Guessing and anthropomorphizing dogs is what we do. The Can I Pet Your Dog promise is that we will never do more than 10 seconds of research before telling you excitedly about any dog we see. I'm going to come at you with top 10 enthusiasm, minimal facts. We're here for a good time, not an educated time. So if you love dogs and you don't love research, well, <laughs> you know what? Come on in to Can I Pet Your Dog podcast every Tuesday on Maximum Fun Network. <laughs> Hey, I'm Janet Varney, host of the JV Club podcast. Ah, oh, high school. Was it a time of adventure, romance, and discovery? Class of 95, we did it! Or a time of angst, disappointment, and confusion. We're all tied together by four years of trauma at this place, but enjoy adulthood, I guess. The truth is, it was both. So join me on the JV Club podcast where I invite some great friends like Kristen Bell, Angela Kinsey, Oscar Nunez, Neil Patrick Harris, and Keegan-Michael Key to talk about high school, the good, 
the bad, and everything in between. My teenage mood swings are getting harder to manage. The JV Club. Find it on Maximum Fun. Back with Janet Varney, when we left her, the depression, anxiety, and the depersonalization, derealization disorder, that's a mouthful, was mostly under control. Then she helped launch HuffPost Live. It was a huge departure. They, I was, I was scouted for it, and I was like, "What are you doing?" I, I host a podcast, and I was on dinner and a movie. I'm not a journalist. I mm-hmm. don't know why you would want me. But they really had this sort of idea of creating this um, community of news slash conversation. So I ended up doing it. But that meant going into an office every day, which I had not done since living in 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 Los Angeles. I just had not done anything like that. It had been a minute since I had had a day-to-day job like that where I so had you're like back in you're in LA at this point. I'm in LA. I came down to LA in 2006 maybe, and this was 2012 and the world did not end uh <laughs> per the Mayan calendar and uh, but that was a fucking awful year, if we remember. Uh, just a garbage year. It was like, other than, we, we covered, like, Obama getting reelected, which was very exciting, and then everything else was shit. It was like Sandy Hook, Hurricane oh, Sandy, right. the guy who shot everyone in the fucking Batman movie in Colorado. I mean, it was grim as hell. And I was not an, a trained journalist, and I was going into work and being live on television talking about this stuff every day of the week from you know for a certain period of time and that and I got I I would ride my bike to Beverly Hills every day and ride it home and uh I got run off the road by a bus and ran my bike into a wall so I had this like pretty intense bike accident um and the combination of like the stress and the bike accident and then my cat who, who was 16 and a half died uh abruptly my grandmother died I mean it was just a bunch of really traumatic stuff that all happened at once while I was also trying to plan Sketchfest. And I and and what I had agreed to do was, you know, impossible for someone who had anything else going on in their life, which I did, and I wasn't willing to let any of that go. So, I would say it was like the closest to a nervous breakdown that I've ever had in that once I had that bike accident and I had to take a couple weeks off work because I was pretty messed up. Um I didn't break any bones, but I broke a lot of teeth. Uh and uh and was just covered in bruises from head to toe. But I came back to work and I started having panic attacks on the air. Oh no. Knowing it was live, knowing I was trapped there, knowing I couldn't have a panic attack, and that's often what causes them for people. And I just had to quit. And it was the and it was and it was the right thing to do because I never I never should have I mean, I couldn't never have sustained that. And uh, and as soon as I quit like they went away when you had the panic attacks on the air was it noticeable or were you one of those people that kind of just is a storm on the inside it no it was noticeable and i i didn't i only i think i only let it happen twice and then i was like this i can't do this i can't do this until this stops um no i really was on i was on like a group chat it's funny because huffpo was kind of doing what we do now on zoom but like as their show because it would be me in studio having a conversation on skype or g chat or whatever with a politician in new york and a a working mom in you know idaho and like we would put together these conversations about all kinds of different topics i always wanted to do evergreen stuff that was all like 
you know, these people want to change their religion from the inside. Like I, it was very talk showy, <laughs> but I really liked it. Um, but I was doing that and I started to have a panic attack. And that's the other thing is that they became less depersonalization as I got older and more just like run of the mill Tony Soprano panic attacks, like adrenaline rush, clammy, can't breathe. And I remember and so you're having this conversation. You're look. you're supposed to be looking at a chat and responding to the chat of the people who are on there to, you know, be awful for the most part. You're supposed to be doing that. And you have a producer with a little bug in your ear and oh. you're talking to these people and it's a lot to juggle. And all of a sudden, I remember trying very hard to focus on what someone was saying. <laughs> and my producer in my little earwig said, uh, Janet, you're breathing very hard and loud into your microphone. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> oh, man. And I was like, yeah, I, get, I can't do this. <laughs> I can't do this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Oh. Isn't that awful? Just imagine. This is what they. I mean, it was me going like, interesting. <laughs> <sighs> like breathe. Try to breathe. Just try to take breath into your lungs. <laughs> like, what a nightmare. So then, did you pivot hard back to like? Oh yeah. 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 It's time to be a performer all the way. Yeah, I was. I couldn't. I mean, I was. I'm. In, I'm so glad I did it again because all of that stuff, notwithstanding, I learned a ton and. I learned a lot about myself. I learned about, you know, like sort of intellectual or or, you know, passions that I that I maybe got a chance to explore a little more and also had a deep recognition of my sensitivity. And I'm not a person who can be on. I'm just not. I'm not. I'll never be a person who can be on air and calmly acknowledge that a tragedy has happened. Not at all. Like my my my. You know, my kryptonite, you have to you have to make your kryptonite also your shield in some way. And I, I'm a very empathetic and very emotional. And it's it would it would have been so silly for me to try to mitigate those things when then I feel like they're an asset. Do you know, you go where that's an asset. Don't try to change who you are. Just go where that's an asset. Right, right. A big part of learning who you are is learning who you're not. hundred um, percent. So so then. I mean, I guess we could just sort of jump up to today, uh-huh. and so and so, um, so you're doing um, the JV Club podcast, and you're you're acting in. I love Stan versus Evil. I thought it was that was fantastic. such a fun show. Ugh. Just so great. Like, no one. I always say to Dana, there was no way anyone would ask me to be a sheriff except for you. So thank you <laughs> for thinking I could be a sheriff. Uh, yeah, and that was so fun. It yeah, was great. You, you got the the coveted "Who is that?" award from my wife when we were watching that show, which is what she gives out to people she hasn't seen before, but is delighted by. Oh, I'll so, take it. I'm yeah. very flattered. I'll take the "Who is that?" award for yeah. sure. It's it's very coveted. Um, you know, a lot of character actors get it. Um, what you're saying to me is she was she was verbally giving me Huey Lewis dipping his sunglasses in a video <laughs> looking at a hot girl on a speedboat. Yeah. And I take that and I embrace it and I love yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, speedboat the whole thing. Um, so but it's but you're still in a world where you're acting in things uh you're you know some of those things might go on for several years some of them might get canceled right away some new opportunities might come up some of those are going to work out some of those aren't it still seems very very 
stressful. You know, you mm-hmm. don't have that yeah. daily office you show up to. You don't know what the the paycheck every two weeks is necessarily going to say. For sure. Um, and then how do you handle that as a person with some depression, anxiety kind of uh, built into the mainframe? I mean, that's a great question. And that is a thing that I think I'm sure you've had this experience on the podcast is that talking to creative people, you're we're all bumping up against that over and over. Because for so many of us, if we feel like it's important for us to pursue that you know, artistic bent, or we've been lucky enough to make, to be just successful enough that you, it is a wonderful feeling to have that much gratitude about what you get to do for a living. And so you want, you you want to have that, you want to sustain that. But yet many artistic people are also very emotionally available, which means they're vulnerable, which means they're vulnerable to anxiety, which means they take on the world, which means they get depressed, which means they have to overcome. Like, so it's, it's a very it's it's a little bit of a tempest existing inside a, a particular lifestyle for for somebody who doesn't know where their next paycheck is coming from. I think I've <laughs> I've gotten better about a little better, but it's it's work. It's absolutely work. I think I've gotten a little better about not spiraling into a panic when something I'm doing ends. Uh, and that's just something that comes through time and age Repetition. and experience yeah. and that I I can I can keep telling myself something else always happens because that's been true so far. And maybe one day that won't be true. And then I can have another nervous breakdown and then I'll pick myself up and do something else from there. But there, I, I think there is a thing. And I remember being younger and having older people say to me, you know, oh, some of it just comes with age. And that is the worst thing to hear when you're young. It just feels so useless. It feels like nothing. You've been told nothing at all. You know, it just feels like thanks a lot. But now I'm on the other side of that. And and it's true. You live with yourself longer. You have, you know, experiences certainly that that hurt and you come out on the other side of them. And if you are if your compass is pointed in the direction of I, I want to be looking forward and I don't want to have regrets and wonder and spend any time wondering what if I had just done this instead, then you'll be OK. And all this, like all that shit, like getting, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I mean, it's so stupid. And yet when you have those moments where you feel like you've been crushed by something, it's uh, it could be a loved one dying. It could be a physical ailment. It could be a huge loss in your work or a sense of rejection, whatever. It's really true. You really do. There's so much stuff I was afraid of when I was younger that I've had to confront in one way or another that I now feel like so much stronger and more impervious and, and that, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade that, you know, I, I'm so grateful for that. And I just want to keep feeling like that the older I get, I don't want to feel like, you know, I, I backslide on that. I want to, and, and so part of it is like, okay, what's the next awful thing? I, I there, I'm sure there will be one because now they happen with more regularity to us as a species, it seems, you know, not just me, everybody. And and to sort of look at it and go, yeah, but there's going to be something kind of profound and great about some part of this. And that's what I'm going to keep looking at um, because because I can't imagine my life uh, approaching it another way. I can't imagine it. It's too painful to think about. And that sounds really depressing, but that's not really true. It's a perspective thing. None of the facts change. It's just if my perspective is, wow, this is crippling. I can't do this. Then that's 
what your life looks like. And if the perspective is with all the same information, this is going to hurt like hell and it's going to be really hard. And I'm going to be that much more compassionate towards anyone who's ever gone through this. And I'm going to be able to offer comfort and I'm going to be able to sustain something that's hard longer next time because I will have built up this true grit. I mean, true grit. That's a real thing. That's a thing I aspire to. I love grit. Just because there are times when being Pollyanna is not going to cut it. And so I think I'm a pretty positive person, but I've also gotten better about going, well, this is awful and it's going to stay awful. And God damn it, it's not going to win. And that's the true grit that I think some of that comes with age and adversity. But it's a it's a it's a beautiful, gorgeous jewel to have, you know, (laughs) and at the center of things, I think. When's the last time you had the the depersonalization syndrome problem disorder? Yeah, I mean, I I'll have situations where I'll start to feel a little little bit, and mostly I've just gotten to a place where, and I'll sometimes just have to say this out loud, um, like I know that this will pass, and I just would like to skip to the other side of this. So let's all just yes, I'm having this feeling. I could lean really hard into it and let it be in control and it would be really unpleasant for a while and then it would go away. Or I can just let's not and say we did and just skip to the to the other side of that. And that's that that works. I mean, I, I don't there's just never a time where I'm steeped in that for any length of time. It's more just like, yep, that's a thing. You could totally trip out on that if you want to. Like, oh, your arms feel a little weird right now. Cool. Um, Think about something else. You know, rather than feeling like, oh, my brain's in charge, my brain's in charge. Now, here we go. I'm going down the roller coaster. I'm at the top. There's nowhere to go but down. No, there isn't. You're not. It's you can just say you're not on a roller. coaster. I'm not on a roller coaster. (laughs) Yeah, I can walk away from this rock on the ground. (laughs) That is this feeling (laughs) and go look at a different rock, you know. So you found a path where you can go down the tunnel that John Cusack and Catherine Keener go down but then it drops you off immediately on the side of the New Jersey Turnpike. That's right. <laughs> That's, That's right. It's the express right. tunnel. It just it skips all the Malkovich. and dirty, and yeah. God knows how this is even possible. Someone and now throws I a beer get can at your York. head, <laughs> but right. you're better. <laughs> but I'm better. I'm better, God damn it. Yes. Janet, Varney, thank you so much. John Mo, thank you so much for letting me overshare. What a pleasure. <laughs> That's what we do. Hey, check out Janet Varney's podcast, The JV Club with Janet Varney. It's part of the Maximum Fun Network, which this show is also part of. You can listen to that wherever you get your podcasts. Don't listen to it where you can't get podcasts because then, of course, you won't get it. So, well, I feel less encumbered. This weird thing that had happened when I was a kid has a name. It's DPDR because, of course, it has a name. It's happened to a lot of other people. I find that one of the most comforting things to realize about mental health is that you're not so special. If you're going through something, someone else has gone through it before you. I can pretty much guarantee that. And it feels unique to you because often it feels really weird. It's not what you're used to. It's a distortion of reality. But whatever it is, it's happened before. It probably has a name. Experts have written about it. There may be entire books about this very thing. I remember talking to Maria Bamford, one of my favorite people, 
a while back about when she had intrusive thoughts, these violent sexual thoughts, just thoughts, not actions, that just kept getting in her head and then getting in her way. Finally, she just Googled it. It had a name. There were therapists nearby who knew a lot about it. She met with them. They helped her out. She got better. The grand lesson here for all of us, our brains are weird and help is available. Next time on Depression Mode, she's the host of the podcast, Allison Rosen is your new best friend, but she hasn't always been such a great friend to Allison Rosen. Stepping onto the scale could reveal the number is higher than I thought it was going to be. I'm a bad person who doesn't get to exist until I fix this problem. I mean, people have been telling me, gosh, you're so hard on yourself, but I'm really starting to understand just how punishing that mindset is. And it doesn't have to be that way. Allison Rosen joins us. If people support our show through a small donation, we will continue to exist. If not, we won't. If you donate, you make Depression Mode happen, and we thank you. If you haven't donated yet, it's super easy. Just go to MaximumFun.org join, and then click on Depression Mode, find a level that works for you. Boom. So easy. Also, give our sponsors a shot. Use those discount codes they offer. That stuff is tracked. You're getting good stuff cheaper, and you're helping the show. We love it when you recommend Depression Mode to friends. Also, something that matters a lot, hit subscribe, give us five stars, write reviews. That helps more people find out about the show, which helps our mission of getting those conversations happening. I want you to know that the Suicide Prevention Lifeline is available 24-7 for free at 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-TALK. The Crisis Text Line, also free, always available, text home to 741-741. Let us know who you want me to interview, what issues you want to hear more about, thoughts about the show. You can send us an electric mail, depressionmode at maximumfun.org. If you're on Facebook, look up our mental health discussion group, Preshies. Great talk going on over there. We're on Twitter and Instagram at DepressPod. Our Depression Mode newsletter is available on Substack. Search that up. I'm on Twitter at John Moe, all one word. High credits listeners, in the early 19th century, Erasmus Darwin, grandfather of Charles, developed something called rotational therapy to treat mental illness. Here's how it worked. The idea was to just spin someone around a lot to relieve what Erasmus called brain congestion. Thankfully, better techniques have uh, evolved. Depression Mode is produced by Gabe Mara. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. Rhett Miller wrote and performed our theme song, Building Wings. I'm always falling off of cliffs now Building wings on the way down I am figuring things out Building wings, building wings, building wings No one knows the reason Maybe there's no I just keep believing No one knows the answer Maybe there's no answer I just keep on dancing Hi, this is Adam from Tulsa, Oklahoma. I just want you to know that your love has never been wasted. Depression Mode is a production of Maximum Fun and Papa Chick. I'm John Moe. Bye now. 
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.